certainly beats the heck uh, out of going door to door with the with the instrument. Hi, remember me? I'm Randy Stonehill, one of the pioneers. Hey, hey, my foot's stuck in the screen. Hey. Hey, welcome. Uh, This is Season 5, Episode 7 of Green Room Door, the show that loves to go behind the scenes to talk one-on-one with artists so that we get to know more about the heart behind the music. I'm Dave Trout, and uh, today I have a question for you. Who are the most influential and talented songwriters in Christian music history? It's a tough question because there's a lot to choose from. Uh, But I'm guessing a few names come to mind, and it might be big names like Amy Grant, Michael W. Smith, Stephen Curtis Chapman. Uh, It could be names like like Rich Mullins or Mark Hurd. But one name that I know needs to be a part of that discussion is Randy Stonehill. Uh, Just last year, he celebrated his 50th year in Christian music. And he's not stopping anytime soon, even just released a new album, um, and uh, is still touring like crazy. Uh, So we're putting the spotlight on Randy Stonehill today, partly because um, his friends Ray Ware and Tom Gulata um, co-executive produced a new tribute album called There's a Rainbow Somewhere. It just released a few weeks ago, uh, and it features... Um, a who's who list of amazing musicians, um, every everyone from Jars of Clay, Sixpence None the Richer, Amy Grant, Michael W. Smith, Steve Taylor, The Choir, Ashley Cleveland, Phil Keggy, and, you know, almost two dozen more artists that were involved in this. Um, and so we're going to talk a little bit about that uh, tribute album, which is available right now. Uh, also... Um, We are excited to unearth an unaired interview with Randy Stonehill that I did with him almost a decade ago. Uh, I think it's going to be really enjoyable. That's coming up in the second half. In the first half, we have a couple of guests to do a little roundtable discussion just about Randy and his influence on the Christian music industry. Um, I'm talking with... Uh, a couple of guys who have been around for a long time in the industry. Um, Chris Hauser uh, is somebody that has um, has worked in Christian radio, has worked at record labels, does um, a lot of radio promotion. Even today is really considered the best at what he does in terms of um, promoting songs to radio. Um, he has influenced more number one songs than we realize and hardly ever gets the credit for it. He's a hardworking guy. I have respected his work for many, many years um, and have been really honored to have him on our UTR podcast a few times over the last few years. Uh, So we're excited to have him at the table. And then also John J. Thompson, who um, most of us know from True Tunes, and he um, runs the True Tunes podcast and website right now. Um, he has done a bunch of variety of roles in, in, in publishing and um, in guiding students, um, just has worked in the music industry in so many capacities. These two guys 
have combined experience of almost 80 years in the Christian music industry. And they have crossed paths and have built friendship with Randy Stonehill over the years. So we are going to share some fun stories and, and just swap about uh, about what his influence and legacy is. So uh, we're going to dive into um, that conversation right after we just get a little taste of Randy's music right now. And when I kissed her tiny face I stood trembling and amazed And I understood what being happy means And I've always prayed from that first day That she will understand That the gift of life is not complete Until she takes your John and Chris, thank you guys so much for being a part of this. Of course. Awesome. Absolutely, man. Um, so uh, the name Randy Stonehill, when you hear the name, what, what immediately comes to mind? I mean, I, I immediately think of Uncle Rand, and I don't remember where I first mm. saw him referred uh, to that way, but I started listening to Randy Stonehill when I first started listening to Christian music. And honestly, most of what I heard, I didn't quite understand or love. There was a tiny percentage that just blew me away. And very early I heard welcome to paradise. And that was one of those records that I was like, why is this in the Christian music world? This should just be like out there with Jackson Brown and all those people. But when somebody referred to him as Uncle Rand, uh, it summed up the, for me anyway, it summed up the comedic, jolly uh, youth pastor side of him and the avuncular wisdom espousing uh, caring side all in once because uncle's to me are that way they're both fun and they got some advice for you and i thought that was that was a cool uh hmm. thing for me and it and in my life then randy stonehill kind of became that balance of you can tell the truth but you can do it with humor you can uh even with satire and and downright silly songs you can deliver some stuff that's pretty important but then you have to be willing to sometimes sit down and share and and really be vulnerable and he was doing all of that stuff with his music and it was it set a really high bar for me and got me really excited yeah so you you asked us for a word and and my struggle was like wacky 
but of course he's not all wacky. Um, but wacky and heartrending, or pensive, or um, or deeply, deeply emotional. The way he's lived in both of those spaces and held that tension for so long uh, through through so many seasons. Um, it's been incredible to me. And I, I, yes, Welcome to Paradise, one of the first Christian records I ever got in college. Uh, I was late to the party, but it was like 1979 when I decided I was just going to listen to Christian music. And uh, literally my first records were Keith Green, Resurrection Band, Larry Norman, Randy Stonehill, and Dallas Holm and Praise. Those were my, uh, those were probably my first five records that I got into. And, uh, my gosh, Stonehills, yeah, Welcome to Paradise. We could go on and on about just the, how completely brilliant, classic keep that record is. Running, keep me moving, keep me always on the go. Keep me making sure my footprints never show. Oh, oh, keep me running, keep me Let me also say this. I then saw him in 1979 at Roberts Wesleyan College. So I was in school uh, at a community college in Syracuse and a caravan of like six cars went all the way to Houghton College to see Keith Green in 79, fall of 79, and then drove the like seven hours back and got back with the light, with the sun coming up on, on a Saturday morning. Later that year, we went to Roberts Wesleyan in Rochester and saw Randy solo acoustic. And again, so insane, so crazy. Shakti Do and so much insanity that I heard afterwards, the sponsors at the college were quite bothered by, uh, <laughs> by him. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, one thing that, that Randy is able to uh, receive that, that Larry Norman and Mark Hurd were not able to receive is a uh, a tribute album being made while he's living um and uh and that just came out um uh ray ware and and, and tom galata put together this 23 track <laughs> album um of a lot of them friends of randy's doing um reinterpretations of songs throughout his whole 50 plus year career um and so let's just take a, a minute just to obviously, oh, you got the test pressing of it. <laughs> nice. Um, I mean, we don't have the time of the day to go track by track or that kind of thing, but can you give me just sort of your overall impressions of, of um, this tribute album? Uh, do, like A, does it do a good job of paying tribute to the songs of Randy Stonehill? And B, uh, are there things that kind of stand out to you as sort of highlight moments on, on that album? Um, I mean, you're, you're talking to two people who actually sang on the record, man. Yes. <laughs> I love that fact. Uh, I'm, I'm super, super geeked out that they asked me to, uh, obviously John and Michelle are very accomplished. And of course they're, they're on that song, but Tom Galata asked me to come in and sing a, 
sing a sing uh, some of the background on uh, on the I Love You chorus, and that's that's just super meaningful, very very fun. I helped bring some artists to the table. I helped get Andrew Peterson, um, and uh, Michael Gunger on the record. Nice. Uh, we had a couple others that I, I had ready to go, uh, but they just ran out of room um, for tracks on the record. I, I love it. My favorite tracks are um, Lee Nash and Sixpence uh, uh, singing her song, uh, which is is just again back to the beauty and the the innocence of that first album in my young Christian life uh, is so so meaningful. But yeah, overall, I think I think the record's amazing. Yeah, I, I agree. And I, I like the song selection. It's not as obvious as you would think. There's several yes. big songs that that got skipped, but that allows some of these sleepers to get highlighted in ways that will will hopefully introduce a new generation to them. The the Jars of Clay version of Broken Places is really cool i mean i could you could hear that on a mainstream triple a radio station right now yeah. and that to me demonstrates just that's one example of how the underlying songs are so strong like yeah. a lot of people don't understand there's more to the song because the performances can be so whiz bang in a lot of songs that you really like the performance but what about that underlying composition um i think that uh there's still lung cancer is a lot of fun. Kevin Max's treatment of that, I think is a lot of fun. Um, Amy Grant's ver uh, version of old clothes is very cool. Keep me running by um, Ashley Cleveland was that's one of my favorite songs mm -hmm. of his. And I've played it a bunch. In fact, I got to play it with Randy once and um, it's really surprise. It was a surprising arrangement to me. That's not how I would have right. treated it. Um, and at first it was kind of like off putting a little bit like this isn't this doesn't have that drive or that groove. But then as I got into it, I was like, Oh, this, I, I really do enjoy it. And I like that the songs are strong enough to tolerate stretching in all kinds of directions. And um, yeah, the Gunger uh, Wonderama thing is brilliant. The, Dave, the one, the one missing piece, I'll clue you in on something I worked really hard on and we just could not get to it. But my, my dream was a 90 second acapella multiple stacked uh vocals version of shakti do done by mark martell oh yeah oh wow <laughs> and it would have just been a quick little just a nod to his most successful well-known song ever and it, it broke my heart that we just could not get the right timing on it uh to get that to happen but uh i don't know man maybe part two or something or maybe i could still talk mark into it yeah yeah, well, I, I kind of had the same thought about um, a lot of a lot of the songs you'd expect to be on the album not being there. But it kind of it kind of to me spoke to a couple things. One is, um, I, I believe every artist 
either got to choose or kind of yeah. weigh in on the songs that they wanted to do. So, so it's a very personal, um, you know, whatever kind of resonated with them. And it doesn't need, those don't need to be hits. They can be, you know, deep tracks, um, which is kind of cool. And the other thing is it, it definitely leaves room to explore, you know, I hope that this opens up the door to, to, for people to find Randy's music to, to um, there's obviously just so, so much. I mean, some of those 20 songs that you mentioned are great songs. Um, and who knows what that is, 20, 25, 30 songs of, that are fantastically great songs that Randy left in his career. A lot of those are not represented in this album. So they, there's a lot to explore still and people can hopefully dive deeper into Randy's music. Yeah. I know that when Mark heard, when the Strong Hand of Love compilation came together, and it was similar in that there was a handful of indie artists that most people didn't know. There was uh, a lot of Mark's friends on it. And Mark has just an incredible body of work. And so one thing that I noticed was that that record definitely seemed to inspire several artists to keep covering Mark Hearn's songs as yeah. time went on. And I feel like this is kind of an indication or a, a invitation to say, hey, here's 20 of these songs, but go find your own. If you're a young indie artist or signed artist, you know, people are covering Beatles and Dylan songs all the time. Why not dig into this catalog and make one of these songs your own, whether it's one of the ones on this set or one of the 50 other songs that you could find, but yeah. you know, for lantern in the snow to get covered on here and you go, man, how many even serious Stonehill fans know that song? Yeah. Um, or think of it in the top 10, but then you hear Terry Taylor dive into it and it's like, holy cow. Or last time I saw Eden, the way the choir does that. Oh, right. That's what, Great example. that's what Amazing. indie artists or, or I mean, any young new artists should be able to do if the songs are great. And, and in this case, the songs are great. So it works. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, uh, one that I just have to give a nod to is, um, uh, cause a lot of, a lot of the songs, uh, I mean, not taking away anything from them, but I, I, you know, I kind of expect a Jars of Clay song to sound a certain way. I expect a choir song to sound a certain way. I expect a Phil Keggy song to sound a certain way. And, um, and nobody really surprises you too much. I mean, they all are in their lane, but one that really just kind of, it just sort of sticks with you, uh, at least for me, is the Fleming and John song because yeah. partly just because I haven't heard new music from them for so long yeah. that you kind of, you know, you just kind of forget exactly what their, what their qualities and intangibles are. And the, the kind of the beauty mixed with grittiness, mixed with minor chords. And it just sort of came together in such a haunting way that uh, for puppet strings that, yeah, uh, yeah I, that one just sort of, kind of like just took me by surprise.
Yeah, that's one that I think really stands as a great indication of the the edgier side of what Randy did even from the beginning, that almost psychedelic, trippy, really cool stuff. That's one of my favorites of his songs. And they really, they, the nice thing about, about John and Fleming is that they listen deeply and find the DNA of the thing. <clears throat> they protect the DNA and then they blow it up into this you know, really, really cool thing. A lot of artists wouldn't be able to do that. They would either clone the original version or kind of rip it apart into their own and make it sound like them. But if I had one song on the record that I had to get somebody who'd never heard of Randy Stonehill, didn't know any of these songs, and I wanted to pull them in, that's probably the first song I would play for people. Mm. Wow, that's neat. Um, so uh, one kind of moving, moving on, one question I have for you is, do you have any favorite encounters with randy be it in person or in concert or even just listening to his music um i worked with randy for um three years and three albums from 1987 to 1990 so um but i played all the records that i could in the 80s when i was in christian radio so from 79 all the way to 87 i played all the mer all the mer records um and the singles and the rock singles and all that so to actually and i i loved him i saw him in concert a couple times uh and then to be able to actually land at mer records in la and work um work those three projects uh can't buy a miracle wild frontier no no wild frontier i played on the radio in 86 so can't buy a miracle was 88 yeah then return uh, to paradise return to paradise was 89 and then the uh the 20 year mm-hmm. retrospective which was a video a concert album half live and half new songs until we have wings right until we have wings thank you yeah. thank you i was inspired one of my favorite live records as a kid uh was 11 17 70 by uh elton john and uh, he recorded it at i think wnew studios in front of a live audience it was an hour long concert and I was inspired at Murr in 89 to get Randy out and recreate 11, 17, 70 in some of the biggest radio stations in the country. So we went to Dallas, Seattle, St. Louis, maybe we went to Florida, but we hijacked their nighttime shows for an hour. And if, uh, the, the studio in Dallas had room for a hundred people. So they had a hundred winners come in and be the in-studio audience for an hour in Seattle. They had room for about eight people in their studio. <laughs> and, uh, and so Randy was like joking about, I'm going to be spitting all over you guys for the next hour. And I hope you can, I hope you can live with that, but to be on the road with Randy for a solid week doing these shows night after night and him choking up singing coming back soon yeah. it, it gets me still to this day he would tell this story that his daughter what knowing that he was going to be gone to nashville for two months making this record she gave him a, her blanket and said don't forget me mm please don't forget me on cue. He would cry every night telling that story and it still gets me over 30 years later. It's mm. incredible to think about 
but it was such a tender, tender moment. And I, I've just always known Randy to just have such a big heart and be so humble in all this stuff. And um, so there, there's a thought for me. Yeah, love it. That Did you take that tour to Chicago, Chris? Were you at like yeah. W? I was there that night. I remember him doing a radio station uh, oh my concert. Gosh. Yeah, I was there. I was probably 19 years old or 20. It was W-Y-L-L. Yep. And they interrupted the broadcast because the World Series uh, had an earthquake in San Francisco that night. That's right. And they I they interrupted. Uh, I, did, I did not put together that you were there, John. That's crazy. Yep. I was there. As far as my uh, a memory, it's tough. Uh, I got to my band got to back him up at a show at our church in Aurora and play keep me running. And that was, that was fun. Um, the thing that probably sticks out most though. And I, I just, honestly, I'm racking my brains here and I can't remember why we were together, but it was in the Chicago area and it was after a show and it was just Randy and I at a, a diner kind of a place eating late. And, uh, there's just been so many of those things in my life. I can't remember what, why, if, if that was a show that I had helped to promote or, or MC or something, I don't know, but for some, it's rare for it to just be me and an artist hanging out, you know? And that night I told him about this book idea. I had this kind of way of thinking about Christian rock or Jesus rock. And I, I wanted to run it by him because he would be a major figure in it. And I wanted to make sure that my analogy of, that I kind of felt like these rock, these Jesus rock guys had one parent was rock and roll and the other parent was the church. And it was kind of like a kids in a divorce, you know, like each parent hates the other, you know, the church hates the world and the, the rock and roll world hates the church. And the kid is kind of stuck in the middle. And I said, it was almost like they just kicked the kid to the curb to be raised by wolves. And so that mm -hmm. became the, the guiding metaphor as I wrote that book raised by wolves. But I remember sitting with him and, and unpacking that. And he really responded to it. He, he didn't just say, yeah, that sounds cool. He, that understanding of, of abandonment and uh, friction and yet still potential and grace that comes, you know, he really, really liked that. And so that gave me the encouragement that I was on the right path with, with that book. I still, uh, I'm rewriting that book right now because I, I was never happy with how it, how it was edited, but um, I'll probably talk to him about it again and, and make sure that he's on because it, it was a good compass for me at that point. I also remember that night asking him, Hey, do you, I'm happy to use this as the, a platform to get everything out there. Like all the controversy, all the stuff of, you know, with Larry and all, all you know, marriages and divorces and everything. And I thought at that, and I was, again, I was 27, 28 years old. And I thought, you know, this, if the truth can just get out there about all this stuff, then, you know, maybe the Larry fans will stop hounding Randy mm. and blaming him for, you know, this stuff. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I was a fan of Larry, but I also saw this thing is relationships are complicated. It's never something you can wrap up in a minute. And I remember that Randy said, you know what? I'm married. I've got this, I've got a daughter at home. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm happy with where things are. Life's a challenge, but I, I don't need to dig up the past just to be right you know he didn't have a, a vengeful like let me get my side of the story out there attitude about any of that stuff and, I, and that was very that impressed me a lot and 
I went through some hard times and had to kind of learn a little bit about how you sometimes keep things. Not everything needs to be put out there in the public, you know? Mm. Um, I feel like that's, that was my, my, um, a really important night where Randy really spoke into my life at, at a young age and, and had a big influence. Mm. Dave, I've got one more story. Can I tell you real quick here? Sure. This is so wonderful. <clears throat> 1989, our son, Christopher now goes by Mac turned a year old. We had a birthday party at Murr Records in LA. Every night uh, when he was uh, got, in that first year, we would put him to sleep, rocking him to the Can't Buy a Miracle record. Mm. So it was way, way down in his DNA. So Randy knew this and Randy and I really hit it off. And uh, so we had a little birthday gathering at, for his one year birthday party at Murr Records. And the whole staff gathered, Randy came, gave Christopher like a little Western shirt for a one-year-old with a bolo tie uh, <laughs> as a gift and, uh, and played, some, played a couple of songs. And when he played Coming Back Soon, Christopher was like listening pre-verbal and put his head on my wife's shoulder like he knew the song so well uh. as a one-year-old. And I, I had this, you know, big VHS camera on my, you know, the, the way they were back then looks like a suitcase or something. It's on my shoulder. And eventually I was like, okay, this is a little cumbersome. I'm just going to set the VHS camera down, keep recording for room noise while Randy is singing. And afterwards we got home and I watched all the footage. And when I put the camera down, it was straight onto Randy's crotch for like four <laughs> minutes. <laughs> and it was like the antithesis of like Elvis on the uh, Ed Sullivan show, right? It was all crotch the whole time. And uh, I, I told Randy that about a month later and he was like, I could see the headline now, CCM artist murders his promotion guy. <laughs> That's a great story. That I, awesome. I, I, Thank you. I, I thought you guys would appreciate That's that. That's awesome. Oh, man. <laughs> I'll try to sneak in my Randy's story, which is I, I was just starting in Christian radio at WETN at Wheaton College, and, um, and I played Randy's music every single shift, I think. I'm pretty sure. And one of the reasons why I know this is because um, my bathroom break song would be Shut the Dough from the Until We Have Wings album which is like a 12 minute version yep. where he does stand up comedy and the whole nine yards. Yep. So, I mean, and, but, but in college radio, we didn't have all the rules and regulations of, you know, you got to play a three and a half minute song. There was, it was a little more like sandbox radio and it was pre automation. So you couldn't bump two songs back to back. Yep. We were playing things off of carts and off of CDs in the, this would be like the mid to late nineties. Yep. And, and so, uh, so I would pop on that, that song partly, but also partly because I just loved his delivery, his take, his, uh, his sense of humor. And, and in college radio, you never had a consistent audience. It was always, you know, you're, you had just a very small transient audience of whoever was turning on the radio in their dorms or on, you know, a nearby car. But uh, so I thought I'm, I played that, uh, I probably played that um, Shut De Do live version, I don't know, 75 to 100 times in my, in, the, in a couple of years, almost, you know, 
ev once like every other shift I would play that song and that would be my I'd exit to the bathroom at that time. <laughs> That's amazing. Wow. Yeah, uh, it was so fun talking with Chris Hauser and John J. Thompson, just reminiscing and celebrating the life of and and the 50 plus year career of Randy Stonehill. We are going to invite Chris and John back at the end of the show to kind of help us wrap things up. So uh, so we'll just kind of push pause on that. Um and uh, then after this short break, we're going to come back and r reveal to you something super sweet. We have got um, a, kind of a, a buried, <laughs> um, kind of buried in our archives interview we did with Randy Stonehill almost a decade ago. Um, a few bits and pieces of that interview did air on the old Under the Radar show, but most of it's never been heard by anybody. And so this will be the first time we're sharing um, this interview with Randy Stonehill. And that is uh, queued up right after this short break. Keep it here for this special edition of Green Room Door. This UTR Media podcast is sponsored by Amazon.com and their platform for giving back to nonprofit organizations, smile.amazon.com. The next time you need to buy a backpack, computer, book, glue sticks, Ultra HD TV, or fidget spinner, millions of products, and you type in AMA, stop right there. And instead, type in smile.amazon.com. It's the exact same website, exact same products, but now you can type in UTR Media as your supporting organization and Amazon will donate 0.5% of all eligible purchases to UTR. You literally pay the same price and get the same prime benefits, but UTR Media gets supported thanks to you being a kind and thoughtful shopper. If you shop with the Amazon app, you can load up your shopping cart and then go to smile.amazon.com to check out and you will be unlocking free money to support this mission. Again, go to smile.amazon.com for your online shopping and select to support UTR Media. Today's podcast is sponsored by the brand new album from the award-winning Jason Lee McKinney Band. One Last Time is 16 tracks of spirit-focused lyrics and a musical blend of blues, folk, gospel, and rock. Find One Last Time by Jason Lee McKinney Band, streaming now on Spotify and all music outlets, and read our new interview with the band at utrmedia.org. Have you tuned into UTR's latest heart, soul, and mind playlist? Here's what you'll hear. For the very first time, I believe I can fly. Don't close your eyes to a tune that's broken
Check out a whole bunch of hand-curated songs on UTR's Heart, Soul, and Mind playlist. Available now at Spotify, Apple Music, and Amazon Prime Music. Welcome back to the Randy Stonehill edition of Green Room Door. I'm Dave Trout. Uh, in the first half of the show, when we talked with John and Chris, uh, we were chatting about the brand new tribute album that just came out called There's a Rainbow Somewhere, uh, a 23-track album. And uh, I did a uh, album review of that project on our website, utrmedia.org, and we'll link to it. And also want to mention that if you're looking for it, um, it is available on streaming platforms. You can digital download it. Uh, CDs are available. I think vinyl is coming out later this year as well. And we're going to put a link to that in the show notes so you can check that out. Um, uh, after uh, At the end of the show, uh, we're going to bring Chris and John back to wrap things up. And then at the very end, after we say goodbye, we have a cool treat. Um, we're going to play... Um, a, a song that um, Randy performed live at the very first Escape to the Lake event that UTR put on in 2013. Um, that's actually where we interviewed um, Randy Stonehill. So it was almost a decade ago, and um, and we didn't air much of this interview back then. Um, so it's kind of just been sitting in the archives. So we we dusted it off unearthed it and now we get to hear our conversation with randy stonehill here on green room door enjoy so um kind of just starting the conversation at the at kind of the early stages um you know i'm sure you had a passion for music you know as far back as you can see but um when did you first when was sort of the first inklings that this this could be a career path for me. Like, this is what I want to do uh, to, to make a living. Um, I, I had dreamed of, um, of embracing music as a career uh, for as far back as I can remember. And um, started writing really bad love songs after my first serious heartbreak at the age of 13. Um, Thank you, Dee Dee Clark. Bless you wherever you are. Um, and and the bad love songs got got better um, and, until I I got the hint that oh maybe I could really do this. Um, I um, got into rock and roll bands in high school, which was very cool. Uh, since it was a, a little um, kind of precursor to what I'd be doing later, and. Um, Moved to Los Angeles right out of high school when I was when I was 18 uh, to seek my fame and fortune, and um, ended up having a what you can only describe as your textbook case lightning bolt experience with the Holy Spirit. The day I arrived, um, hanging out with the late great Larry Norman, and right there in his kitchen, um, the Lord showed up, and then I realized that not only was um, was this passion a career goal, but um, but that it was uh, uh, it was a gift from him, and it was uh, it was a calling. I'm just fascinated by these kind of early days of Christian music, just because um, there wasn't a Christian music industry or a you know I mean there was really no sustainable career for a contemporary Christian artist outside of maybe a couple of acts back in the late 70s so so you know 
what was it like to dream of a music career in an atmosphere where there really wasn't much of a, many career opportunities? You were trailblazing basically new ground. I, I was really enjoying um, just being young and, and traveling light. Um, I, I didn't have a, a great overview okay. a, about, um, oh, you know, how to build my my passion or my calling into a career. I just I was doing it one day at a time, and I, I uh, along with a handful of of other guys that I met on the road, um, you know, as far as we knew, it could all be over tomorrow, but um, uh, but we we were just you know in in love with the Lord. Uh, loved uh, you know rock and roll and felt like man we have we have something not only entertaining to say but, but something that that can share life so we're we're just gonna I think uh, yeah we're just gonna forge ahead I mean um, like you said there was no infrastructure upon which to build <laughs> we were just as a combination of just being guileless and having a lot of faith and um, I remember as a matter of fact um, uh, having a conversation with Larry Norman, who was saying, "Randy, I know God's up to something. Um, I, I just, I know he's he's his, historically he's used the musical vernacular of the day to speak to each generation, and he's doing that with us. And and it's it's a movement, man. I'm telling you, it's you and me. Okay, and and me and you, which is." like us and and we and see it's like it's like a movement you know and man we were just kind of lonely it's almost like you could hear the wind going whoosh, blowing across the tundra you know so we were delighted when we um, we stumbled onto a, an acetate test pressing uh, from love song at a hollywood studio and um and then we um uh we bumped into phil keggy uh at a festival thing in cincinnati uh, and, um, and, you know, and Larry was just smiling at heaven, just saying, see, I, we're not crazy. I, I know God's up to something, and it's, it is a movement. Uh, with, every, with every movement forward, there's usually always obstacles. So I'm, I'm curious to know, I've heard stories of other sort of, uh, you know, early Christian music bands that faced opposition from the church itself yeah. trying to say you know we don't think you're honoring God with this new contemporary music <laughs> um, I mean did you face some of that in your early career yeah I I faced a lot of a lot of heat a lot of friction yeah. uh, in my early years um, and uh, as a matter of fact I can remember one uh, particularly abrasive conversation um, after a concert in Southern California where I was living um, and these people came up to me and they said, man, they, they kind of cornered me. I was out, you know, outnumbered like six to one. And they said, your hair's too long, your music's too loud, your pants are too tight, you have way too much fun. What, what do you think you're doing? You know, why don't you tell you what, why don't you just come back when you get saved? Or maybe don't come back at all. I mean, they just were in, in, up in my grill, as, as they say. Yeah. And, but I, I will say that uh, the Lord used that kind of tension to, um, to help me become a real apologist, which is not 
meant to say, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry you hate this. I mean, you know, that's just a bad, bad radio joke, folks. Um, but it really did help me think through and pray through uh, what I was doing with more clarity than I think perhaps I would have had it all been smooth sailing. So, um, and it, it taught me too about the dynamics of being in the public eye. You have to go in, especially if you have a sense of calling, you have to go in as a servant and say, you know what, I'm not going to be a doormat for these folks, but I'm just going to lovingly agree to disagree. I'll try to appeal to them with logic. Beyond that, I hope that what God is doing in my heart and my life will speak, even if my music isn't their cup of tea. And I'm just not going to give them anything to hit up against. If I get defensive, um, then the, the subtext there is, oh, see, he, know, he knows that he's, he's a hot dog. He knows he's a flake, and so that's why he's defensive. So I thought, that ain't the fact. That's not the case. But I'm just, I'm just going to love these people, even when it's just really hard, and at the end of the day say, hey, listen, I know who I serve, uh, and the Bible says in my Father's house are many mansions, so many, maybe mine which is going to be louder than yours, it'll be way down the line and I won't bother you. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, the cool thing is because things did forge ahead and those, you know, those early trailblazers like yourself just stayed the course, um, mainly throughout the 80s, we really saw Christian music blossoming as far as its popularity, um, concert attendance on the rise, um, uh, record labels forming, things like that. So, um, may, uh, kind of, what is your perspective on um, on the, the development of the Christian music industry, and if it's something that that has run its course? And, you know, obviously it had a rise, but is it something that is even needed today anymore for you know for good Christian art? To well, I, I I don't really think that the industry infrastructure um, itself is. Uh, is needed um, uh, for art to speak or for God to do what he'll do. Um, and you can see, everyone can see that it has imploded. Um, but, but again, uh, for, for, people, for people that um, have a gifting and a passion and give it to God, the Lord certainly will make a way. And, you know, I had to, I had to smile because... Um, I watched, I, you know, I was in the middle of the industry, and I was there at its peak, and it was kind of like the arc of a diver, you know. Um, all of a sudden, um, it became so self-aware, um, so industry-oriented, because all of a sudden, man, it became a big business, that the base audience that a lot of us relied on were, were turning their ears away. They were turning their heads away. And maybe some of them didn't even know why. They just knew that something didn't smell right. It wasn't authentic anymore. It was big bells and whistles and the, here comes the tour train and it's blowing through your town and yeah. then thank you very much for the cash and bye-bye, you know. And uh, so there was a credibility issue which helped in the implosion. Um, but also I have to say that uh, artists like myself um, that's cool. You can, I can edit this interview. And, you know, 
Dave Trout is answering his cell phone now. In the middle of my interview, ladies and gentlemen, this levels the playing field because it lets me know just really ultimately how inconsequential I am. Dave couldn't be bothered to, to turn off the cell phone during my... Call my mommy. Call my mommy, mommy. You said I was special and then maybe not so much. <laughs> he did not answer the phone, ladies and gentlemen. Okay. The industry had just grown to a, to a point uh, that it, uh, it became... Uh, it became self-conscious, uh, and it became uh, in an unhealthy way, and it also it became too much, too uh, too commerce-driven, and that started to have a ripple effect with it, with the audience, and um, uh, we even did, as a matter of fact, uh, the powers that be at Word Records called all the artists in at a season of time in the mid '80s and said, "Okay." We, we have to try to do damage control here. We're going to do interviews with you guys about your heart and your calling, and we're putting this out on vinyl, and we're sending it everywhere. It's called The Artists Face the Music. And so they could see that the tide was turning. The, the funny thing to me is that um, still, still in all, um, being with a record company, though it had some of its advantages, it was also like just working for the bank and um you know it was just so i mean the royalties and everything was so out of proportion and you just thought man this is this is the same model as the world this is just golly you know and so um uh when when it really did all come apart and artists were being cut from rosters left and right um i know for me uh when i was let go after i think gosh it, 20 years uh, with Word Records, either with Word directly or with, with Solid Rock, which Larry Norman created. Um, it was a strange feeling, but it also was, it was a good faith builder, because I thought, no, wait a minute. You know, I've been practicing. I'm pretty good. I have a sense of calling here. What, I, don't, I don't have to rely on a record company. I need to rely on, on God. What will God do here? And just around that time, or shortly thereafter, when I was back to a grassroots kind of a of approach, the internet became this viable component, and you just and it just changed up everything. You know, record companies are, for the most part these days, they're they're uh, almost obsolete, and and I just had to, like I said, I. The smaller part of me, ladies and gentlemen, just had to snicker a little bit because I went, oh, you guys, you always thought that you were going to have everybody over a barrel. And guess what? And, and now you're, you're, looking, you're, you're going to the web to see artists who are developing you know, serious groundswell followings, and you're, you're courting them as opposed to them coming hat in hand to the, the big man's door and saying, would you please sign me? You know, so it's, it's really interesting. And now I think it's a very interesting time um, because again, the Lord is faithful. Um, creativity belongs to him. He knows the hearts of those who are listening to him and, and mean business. And, and it's gonna be interesting to see what happens over the, it's been interesting to watch the past 10 years. It's gonna be very interesting to watch what happens over the next 10. The crowd was getting louder Circling the 
and, and it's interesting when we were talking about the industry and stuff because a lot of today's worship songs that are kind of the mass produced worship songs just I don't seem to connect with them as much but uh -huh. but one that you did um, called I Thirst For You um, just seemed to I don't know it just had like a, a it was a more of an authentic prayer song mm -hmm. that that I can tell you definitely I, I was tracking with and I mean I think it was a a very meaningful song to me. So, uh, uh, that was a uh, writing. I thirst for you was was a sweet experience um, because I uh, I invited Sherry Keggy, uh, who is uh, Phil Keggy's niece, uh, to be a um, a collaborator uh, uh, in on the song, and. Um, and she's she's just such a, a lovely woman of God. Uh, I think we just, you know, went to, um, kind of went went to that that place in the heart, you know, where where um, yeah, where we just wanted to uh, do do something that um, uh, that would point to that father-child relationship. That is what Christianity really is about. And we um, uh, we had a delight. We spent a delightful afternoon in my living room, just kind of bouncing ideas off of each other, and um, uh, and uh, and then I I remember uh, uh, when um, when we felt like we should take it into the studio. Um, I saw the pieces come together really well, and you know, and I. Um, you can never see into the future. You just you just do what you do as honestly as possible and ask the Lord to breathe on it. And um, but I'm glad that it resonated with you. And then and I saw that it resonated with a lot of folks because um, that was the uh, I believe that was the first radio single from Lazarus Heart, and it and it shot to it shot to number one. Um, so that was that was a. Uh, that was a blessing. I remember getting the news right before I went on stage um, uh, in San Jose. I was playing in my hometown on Halloween of 1994, and I think my manager called or somebody uh, somebody told me and said, "Hey, guess what? I turned to you. Just went to number one nationwide." And I went, "Wow. Well, that yeah, that's very sweet, and it certainly certainly beats the heck uh, out of going door to door." With the with the instrument. Hi, remember me? I'm Randy Stonehill, one of the pioneer. Hey, hey, my foot's stuck in the screen. Hey. So yeah, that was very cool. Yeah, that's great. All right, I'm cheating here a little bit because the first one that comes to mind, I know it's uh, it's kind of uh, considered a standard favorite, but um, Rachel Delavorius. Uh huh. I uh, just a tremendous song and just. Thank I'd you. Love to know the, the backstory. The backstory. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you the backstory of, on Rachel Delavorius um, because that's that was a very special uh, experience for me, just watching the hand of God, um, and and not not so much, you know, at work in the in the creating of the song, but but just the the way it actually connected with with Rachel. Um, Rachel was uh, a childhood acquaintance. Uh, we went to grade school together in San Jose, and she, um, she just, 
was a bit of a black sheep. Um, didn't really fit in with the other kids, and um, um, and I could see that she was bright and she was sweet natured, um, but um, she came from a fairly conservative household. I think her father was a an orchestra conductor and, and a musician, and and uh, and she was playing violin, and you know, and this is when rock and roll was just loud on the radio and it was all about to bust loose with the Beatles and everything and um, and just watching you know watching kids pick on her and stuff just it just broke my heart uh, but I was just a kind of skinny kid with bad Buddy Holly glasses and you know I, I couldn't really stand up to to the bullies but I just always felt for her and I always tried to treat her with a little bit of grace just because She's a human, and if I was in her position, that's the way I'd want to be treated. Um, I was working on a, a record called Wonderama with, uh, with uh, the wonderful Terry Taylor as a producer. And um, this, this idea started haunting me. And I remember my manager coming over. Uh, as a matter of fact, he's in the song, my best friend Ray. And um, he said, what are, you, what are you doing, and how are things going with the, with the writing with Terry? And... I said, well, it's going really well, but you know what? I, I, I just I'm working on this song about. Remember Rachel Delavorius? He said, yeah, of course. She just lived down the street. She lived between you and me. Yeah. I said, yeah. I said, well, I'm just working on this song. And he said, yeah, okay, but Randy, just just be mindful. I mean, you're in the studio in the next, in 30 days, you know. I said, yeah, I know, I know. But I just, I just knew I had to write the song. And after he left my house, I ended up kind of spitting it out in about 15 minutes. And, um, and you know what they say, Dave, that write about what you know. That's going to have the most power and authenticity. And man, I just, I remembered her and I remembered her story. Rachel Delavorias With her thick eyeglasses and her plain Jane face Sat beside me in my fifth grade class Looking so terribly out of place Rachel played the violin And classical music was out of style She couldn't control all her wild brown hair Her nervous laughter and her awkward smile And it was clear that she'd never be one of us with her dowdy clothes and her violin And a name like Rachel Delavorias I showed it to Terry. He really liked it. Of course, it ended up on the Wonderama project. And, um, um, and, and then, before the record ever came out, I saw the amazing personal hand of God because I was... Um, I was doing a concert at uh, a big theme park like Marriott's Great America or something uh, where they had sort of gospel music day, you know, 20 different artists on eight, eight great stages, it's all day long and come on out, you know. Um, so right before the third and final performance of the, of the evening, um, a security guard brought a note backstage, knocked on the door and I opened it up. and. 
He said, uh, are you Mr. Stonehill? And I said, yeah. He said, well, this is for you. I opened it up. I opened the note up, and it said, you've gotten my attention, and I would like to talk. And it was signed, Rachel Delavorius. And I just kind of thought, whoa. Like, how does she even know about the song? The record's not even out. How'd she even know? <coughs> Excuse me. So I waited nervously backstage um, after that last performance, and the security guy brought her back. And um, I hadn't seen her in 15 or 20 years, you know. Um, and I said, Rachel, you know, t tell me how you got wind of the song. And she said, well, my sister um, heard you perform it. Um, and I realized, oh, well, she said, my sister heard you perform the song uh, at a, a college or UCSC up in the Santa Cruz Mountains or something. And I realized that was the very first time I'd ever played the song. As a matter of fact, I remember sitting in the hotel room, working on the last two or three lines of the song, and there was a knock on the door, and it was the runner from the college. And he said, Mr. Stonehill, it's time for your sound check. I said, oh, okay, uh, I'll be right there. And I went, yeah, uh, cruel little boys in this one-horse town. Yeah, that's okay, that's real life, that's how, that's how the song ends. Okay, I'm going to go play this tonight. Wow. And little did I know, little did I know that there in the darkness of that auditorium was Rachel's sister, who I had never even met. She was older, she was like in my brother's, you know, my, my classmate of my brother, yeah. And, um, but I'm thinking, could you imagine? It must have been like, you know, the Twilight Zone, going, doo -doo 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 -doo. Rod Serling all of a sudden is standing on the stage saying, yes, yes, Penny Delavorius thought it was a regular concert, just like so many other concerts on so many other nights, but no, tonight, con tonight's concert was being held in a very special venue in the Twilight Zone. Yeah. <laughs> and all of a sudden, I'm singing about her sister. So Rachel's telling me this, right? She said, so anyway, Penny went home, she called me on the phone, and she said, Rachel, do you remember a, a kid from, uh, from grade school named Randy Stonehill? And Rachel said, yes. As a matter of fact, you know, I will never forget him, because out of my whole fifth grade class, he was the only boy that was kind to me. And so her sister said, well, um, let's hope you still feel that way after I tell you this story. <laughs> Uh, you know, he, uh, he became a, uh, a professional musician and Rachel laughed and said, oh yeah, he was singing and dancing up and down the halls of the grade school. We, we knew that he was, he had the mark. We knew he was going to, he was doomed. And, uh, she, and so Penny said, yeah, well, he, he managed to parlay that into a career of sorts. And I went to, I went to his concert tonight and are you sitting down? And Rachel said, yeah, why? And Penny said, well, Rachel, he, he wrote a song about you. And um, it's, it's, really, it's really hard to listen to, man, because it, it talks about just those, those black sheep years, you know, when you were a kid. And, but you come out looking really good in the third verse, so don't, don't sue him. Don't, besides, he's a musician. What are you going to get? A buck, a buck 380 and some donuts. <laughs> You know, 
And so, um, again, I, this all had transpired unbeknownst to me until Rachel showed up at the concert. Yeah. And, and I said, but what, what was interesting was I said, I, I was sitting there as she told me the story about, about her sister being in the audience. And I said, Rachel, do you, do you see how, how personal God can be? I mean, can you, what are the odds? Just you're a logical person. Do the math here. What are the odds that out of all of the concerts I do all over the country all year, the very first night I debut your song, your sister is sitting in the audience? I think, Rachel, I think, I think God's trying to talk to you. Yeah, that's amazing. What a, holy cow. Did you ever keep in touch with her, kind of keep the conversation going? Or? You know, um, yeah, Rachel and I have had just sporadic contact. Yeah. And uh, she actually sent me some of her uh, her music, um, and she's she's quite accomplished. So I I hope to reconnect with her and maybe even invite her to to come to the studio and and play. That's sweet. I'm, that is a beautiful cap on the conversation. What a great story. So oh, cool. Appreciate it. All right. Thank you so much. Hey, well, listen. Thank you for your time and for letting me flap my lips. And I could. Yeah. I can go on because I got stories to tell, but about God's faithfulness. But yeah, so hey, thank you, and uh, I hope you, uh, you know, I hope you can utilize the stuff. And cool. All right. Ah, the one and only Randy Stonehill, Gospel Music Hall of Famer. Hope you enjoyed the extended conversation with him uh, that we recorded about a decade ago. Wow, it's been a long time, but. Um, Oh, it's fun to unearth that conversation. Uh, sorry about the audio thing. Uh, we did, didn't have two microphones, so did the best I could to help you hear my questions. Um, but uh, I want to bring in Chris and John back into the conversation and ask them the question, um, what do you think is uh, the legacy? What will stick when people think of Randy Stonehill and his music, even, you know, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years from now. I got to say, I, I feel like the, the novelty songs, they're not as important to you when you're no longer in youth group, you know, but songs like Rachel Delavorius or Christmas at Denny's, it's like there's a John Prine side to right. Randy Stonehill. And I think, I hope that in 20 years, 30 years, whatever, there's still a remnant of people who are listening to those songs saying, oh my goodness, the, the way the lyric melts with the melody, the way he can take something like starlings, these birds that are completely annoying and, and uh, they're a plague, they're a pestilence, and he can find a way to say, let's say a prayer for the starlings. You know, that's to me gonna be, um, what if if there is a lingering legacy it's going to be that this guy really had an ability to be insightful observant melodic and very musical in how he composed those things together and that those songs really transcend any genre they don't you don't need to be a christian looking for christian music to hear starlings or rachel delavorius or christmas at denny's and and have your heart moved and so I think that in some ways the era of that that kind of, you know, what we might right now think of as the golden days or whatever of CCM is closing. 
his work is strong enough it will survive that and and hopefully other artists will find it and bring it into just regular music which is kind of what i think this compilation can do i would see my my answer would be um what other christian artists still alive were making music in 1970 71 72 yeah i i can only think of bill gaither Nancy um, Honeytree is still out there. The, yes. the second chapter people were a little bit after that. Yes. Yeah, Phil, Phil Keggy active at that yeah. time, yeah. early seventies. Was uh, with Glass yeah. Harp. Yeah. Um, but but not many. Chuck Gerard. You know, <laughs> not really many. Yeah. And, no. and so I would say it, it might end up that he he becomes more beloved in death than than mm-hmm. than than he's been in the last. 50 years. 20 years 30 years um but just just the way the record business is gone but uh, i would I, love I, to see somebody make a film not a biopic but like a narrative scripted drama based on randy's life as oh, wow. yeah. a lightning rod for what the jesus movement really was because we get these spins on it to me, Randy is a kid who literally is becomes a Christian. Terry Taylor is really right there like that. Um, a kid in the 60s, rock and roll generation, becomes a Christian. Randy's whole thing is kind of like a rubber band that you pull back really tight, and then you shoot it in 1969, and it's still flying. Uh, I got to tell you, I mean, for the record, I love that idea of doing some sort of a narrative scripted film uh, about the birth of the Jesus music movement and all the obstacles with Randy Stonehill as the central character. That'd be so, so cool. Um, Okay, we are wrapping things up and just want to give a huge thank you to Chris Hauser, John J. Thompson, and of course, Randy Stonehill for being our interview guests today. Um, uh, All the stuff we talked about, uh, including the song titles that we used on the show today, are all listed in the show notes, so you can check that out. Um, And definitely check out the new tribute album called There's a Rainbow Somewhere. Um, It's a great way to um, hear some of you know the who's who of christian music artists um reinterpreting reimagining these randy stonehill songs that shows their strength because they can be featured by different artists and be like john said stretched in different ways which is very cool uh there's a link for that in the show notes as well a reminder as we sign off and say goodbye stick around because we got a little cookie at the end of the show Um, We are going to share a live performance of Randy Stonehill performing at the very first Escape to the Lake from 2013 in Williams Bay, Wisconsin. Um, That is coming up in just a minute here, right here. Okay, it is our vision and mission to release conversations like this and our podcast and other content we create for free, but it does cost money to, to make this the contents and so we can't do it without the help of our amazing support team thank you if you are on that team and if you'd like to become a part of it or get information about it head over to utrmedia.org 
and click the support button. Well, if you liked the show today, um, one great word of mouth way you can help spread the news is take a screenshot of the podcast page today and post it as an Insta story or on Facebook and tag at UTR Media and let folks know that this show exists. I'm Dave Trout. Thanks so much for hanging out with me. I'll talk to you again on the next episode of Green Room Door, a production of UTR Media, an independent, listener-supported nonprofit ministry in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, and online at utrmedia.org. The live song from Randy Stonehill is next. morning felt about a hundred years old I woke up this morning felt like I was 100 years old well it's not about the number of your days it's how regret weighs on your soul choose your battles carefully there are so few wars worthwhile to wage Better pick your battles carefully. There are so few wars worthwhile to wage. Better think about the fallout every time you fly into a rage. Oh, we cheater on the precipice. Act like it's a level mesa land. Inches from the great abyss, pretending that we've got things well in hand. In the end, we're kings of nothing, and the end always comes quicker than you planned. That's right. Bust out your windows, jimmy all your locks, listen to the whisper when the spirit talks. Lay down your treasure, throw away your clocks. This is hallowed ground to the spirit walk. Spirit walk, yeah. The devil slid up to me. He said, why don't we have a little chat? I got a bit suspicious when he refused to let me take his hat. He said, I know about your unfulfilled desires. I can help you out with that. I said, that's awfully tempting. I guess that's the business that you're in. Would you need for payment? He just looked down with a sheepish grin. I said, I think I'll pass. He said, that's okay, but I'll be back again. Don't take Nostradamus to tell you how the chips are gonna fall. Open up your Bible, you don't need some gypsy's crystal ball. The way things are these days, even Ray Charles could see the writing on the wall. That's right. Go and bust out your windows, jimmy all your locks. Listen to the whisper when the spirit 
tops Lay down your treasure Throw away your clocks This is hallowed ground to the spirit world Spirit oh, Hey, 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 hey <sighs> Well, I woke up this morning Grateful that I still was sucking wind That's right I woke up today, I was breathing out, breathing in. Now most people take that for granted, man, that's got to be some kind of sin. Oh, well, I don't mean to whine and moan, I know some people like to sing the blues. Not trying to play the victim, like some folks who just loved sing the blues. But I learned so much the hard way. I said I learned so much the hard way. You know I learned so much the hard way. Hope there's something here someone can use. Spirit walk. I feel better. Thank you. <laughs>